thank you, God, for moving. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Man, isn't God good? So good. I'm telling you, there's, there's things that the Spirit of God can accomplish in just a very, very short time when we're in His presence. Amen? Praise God. Go ahead and be seated this morning. Amen. Praise God. Well, hey, I think our fast is working. You know, I think we get, we did, maybe we broke some things, did some things, made some headway through our fast. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 1. We are going to continue talking, even though our fast is over, we're going to continue talking about this subject of prayer because I didn't feel like we were quite finished. This might be the last week, but uh, just wanted to keep talking on this. We've, we've been talking about how to increase the effectiveness of our prayer because uh, as I've pastored people for years, you know, you hear a lot of the same things. You see a lot of the uh, people running into the same problems and same issues. And one of the common things that you hear a lot is people sort of being maybe a little bit disillusioned with prayer or at the least just having a misunderstanding of when prayer works, when it doesn't work, uh, why it works, and why it doesn't work sometimes. But I don't really think from Scripture that's what prayer is intended to be. I don't really see in, in Scripture this hit or miss, it might work, it doesn't, sometimes. If, you know, there are reasons why it works, and there are reasons why it doesn't work sometimes. And we've been talking about that and analyzing that. Now, I want to forewarn you that what we're talking about, uh, my, my goal this morning and my purpose is not really to encourage you. Okay, I just want to give you that up front. That's not really my goal. My goal is not to discourage you either, all right? But there are sometimes you come to church and you need encouragement, you know, and you need to hear about the grace of God and the goodness of God and how you're accepted in His sight and all of that, and you get a lot of that here. But um, this morning, what I really aim to do is help you. Now, sometimes help is encouraging, sometimes it's discouraging. It just depends on, you know, how straightforward it is and all of that. So but my heart is not to upset anybody or... Uh, if you're struggling with some of these things, I don't want you to be discouraged. I hope you are encouraged because, if anything, it's a path forward, and that should be encouraging. But we've been talking about increasing our effectiveness in prayer, and we specifically mentioned three things that do that. Number one was obedience. Number two was faith. And number three is our authority or understanding our authority in Christ and through the name of Jesus. But we're going to go back to this obedience thing because it's the one that God just keeps speaking to me about, all right? And I think it just play, it's so important for us. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, and I want you to listen closely because uh, this is straight from the mouth of God, all right? He's prophesying in Isaiah 1, and I want you to listen to what he, what he says and how he sees things, kind of what his worldview is. So this is Isaiah 1, 11. And he says this to the children of Israel. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? And here's what he, <clears throat> and if it was in our context, because what he's saying is, you're bringing these rams, you're bringing these sacrifices, you have all these religious duties that you're doing. But he says, what is that to me? Okay, and, and what you're going to really see that he's trying to say is, what is that to me when your life doesn't match that? 
So he says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who is required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. So kind of retranslating that. All of these things, he's the one that's instituted. He's the one that instituted the offerings. He's the one that instituted the incense. He's the one that instituted the new moon and the Sabbath and the, the holy convocations and the assemblies and all of that. But what he's saying is, I am so sick and tired of seeing you go through the rituals when your life does not match all of these religious things that you're doing. Can you see how that would apply to us? If we were to translate it to our time, what he might say is, I'm so sick of you coming to church. I'm so sick of you singing the songs. I'm so sick of you talking the lingo. But when you go out in the world and you live your daily life, there's a disconnect. All of this doesn't mean anything to me if there's not a heart and a life that match it. We were just talking about surrender. We could say it that way. It doesn't mean anything to me if your life is not surrendered to me. As a matter of fact, notice what he says. He says, the incense that you offer is actually an abomination when your life doesn't match. It's an abomination when you have a heart that is actually far from God, but they're trying to offer religious sacrifices to him. He says it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. He says, I'm tired of it. And I love what he says in this last phrase. He says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. And in other words, I don't want to see, I don't want to see sin, wickedness, and iniquity as we all gather together for a solemn and holy assembly. Whenever we get, in other words, what he's saying, you're, ga you're gathering together to sort of play church, but your lives are filled with sin and wickedness and iniquity. He said, that's a problem. And I don't want you to think that I'm just okay with that. Now, we're talking about this for, for prayer's sake because it, it, it goes into the same thing with prayer because you see how God feels when we're offering up prayer. And, and we're praying for God to get involved in these situations. We're praying for this, praying for that. God fix this. I'm going to tell you what a lot of times our prayer actually ought to be. Our prayer actually, act, a lot of times ought to be, God, I repent of living this way. And I want to stop this. And I'm ready to surrender my whole life and my whole heart to you. I'm ready to live for you instead of living for myself. And that act and prayer of surrender would get God involved more than, more than any other type of prayer. So he says, when you come before me, bring no more vain offerings. What is a vain offering? Well, it's an offering that carries no power. It's an offering that carries absolutely no power because it's being offered by a person that is not surrendered to God and has not truly had their life changed by God. So you're offering a prayer, you're offering a worship, but it's a vain offering because you've not been transformed by the power of God. You're not truly living surrendered to him. He says, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not 
listen because your hands are full of blood. Verse 16, he gives them the solution. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil. In other words, repent. Repent. He knows you can't wash yourself and make yourself clean without his power. Especially in the New Testament, he's not talking about you fixing yourself. What he's talking about is coming to, coming to Christ and coming to the cross as an act of surrender and letting God change you. But he can't do that until you surrender your life to him. He can't do that until you're ready to crucify the old man and to surrender your life to God. But I've met many Christians in my days that they don't really want to surrender. What they really want is they want to have it both ways. They want to feel like they're okay with God. God's not mad. They want to feel like they're not on their way to hell. They want to feel like they, they, they're on their way to heaven. But then they want to keep living this, this sinful, selfish, self-life on this side. And I just, I just want you to know that that's a problem with God. All the way through the New Testament, it's a problem. After the cross and the blood and every, it's always a problem. It's never okay to try to live that lifestyle. And I'm going to say, I think you know this already. I think you can observe this with your own eyes. The spirit of this world has infected the church in many ways. Come on. And in many ways, the church thinks just like the world on many, many topics. And I'm going to tell you, the things that we're seeing in our world... The craziness, the sin, the wickedness, the sin that's all around, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to inoculate you and desensitize you to where you just see it so much and so often that you think it's normal and you start to think just like them. Or it's going to drive you to your knees to repent and pray and seek the face of God because of the wickedness that you see around you. But we don't need to become lukewarm and desensitized to all the things that we're seeing around it and worse we don't need to become absorbed to it where we are thinking the same way or participating in the same things that God calls sinful but the world says is okay and I listen I'm not going to sit up here and make a list of sins because that, that's not what this is about we're not it's not about call I'm talking about a heart that is surrendered to God and wants to please God and live for God at every turn and that when you see sin or error in your life that you repent and you correct it because you you love God and you want to follow him and you want to do his will Proverbs chapter 28 verse 9 it says if one turns away his ear from hearing the law even his prayer is an abomination it says if one turns away his ear from hearing the law or the word of God even his prayer is an abomination. Meaning that if I read, hear, or see something in the Word of God and, don't, and, and, and I know that my life doesn't line up with it, but I ignore it and I turn my ear away from it, I turn my eye away from it and think that my prayers are going to be heard by God, he says, if you turn your ear from the hearing of the law, even your prayer is an abomination to God. Jeremiah chapter 11 verse 14 it says therefore do not pray for he tells Jeremiah he's talking to the prophet Jeremiah he says therefore do not pray for this people or lift up a cry of prayer on their behalf for I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble now if you read this whole chapter 
what he, the reason he's saying that is because he's saying this people, their heart is far from me. Don't start praying for them uh, that everything's going to go well with them because it's not. It's not going to go well with them until they repent and until they turn from their sin and turn from their wickedness. He said, so you're wasting your breath. It, don't, don't pray for them that this is going to stop or this trouble is going to leave them or this will go okay with them. He said, that's the wrong prayer. The, if you're going to pray for them, here's what you need to pray. You need to pray that they'll bow their knee and repent. Because if they would bow their knee and repent to me, all of this would begin to go well anyway. You don't even got to pray for it. So what we've been talking about from the beginning is the connection between obedience and prayer or the connection between obedience and fellowship with God. You can never divorce those things. And I think that there has been a mentality that's crept into the church that has almost tried to divorce. And I, look, I've been, I've been in in church for a long time and I've been on a lot of church staffs and I've seen this pervasive attitude it's certainly not in everyone but it's always in a small group of people that they've got things in their life that they have absolutely refused to to deal with or take care of then they're gonna live this way and and they think that they're okay with God and I'm just gonna tell you through the New Testament and throughout Scripture, again and again and again, that comes up as a problem. And it especially comes up as a problem on Judgment Day when many will find out, no, you were not living for me. You thought you were living for me. You said you were living for me. You said the right words. You called, you called yourself a Christian. You called on my name, all of that. But I'm letting you know I never knew you. That's a problem, isn't it? That's a big problem to find that out on Judgment Day. Listen, it's going to happen. The, the, Jesus prophesied and said on that day, okay, many, many who said they called on me and called my name. He said, I'm going to look at him and say, I never knew you. So this is an issue where, where we live, at, we live for self, we live for wickedness, we live for sin. Our hearts are not repentive. We have no desire to change or do right, but we're trying to live in this middle road where we can kind of balance both, both sides. And, and I believe that's who this message is for this morning. Every Christian sins. There are no perfect Christians. We're not talking about a, a, a Christian that, that sins. Uh, but the Bible addresses a type of person that, that sins and lives in sin and habitually sins and will not repent and will not change it. It, it addresses that as being a big issue and a big problem. So, with all of that in mind and that, that, being, that potentially being a problem and an issue, I want to answer this question, what does answered prayer actually look like? Okay, if we're praying, what does, what does answered prayer actually look like? Well, many times answered prayer comes in the form of answers and solutions, not necessarily miracles, okay? And I'll, I'm going to explain that because I want you to really understand what I'm saying this morning. A lot of times when we pray, we are expecting God to perform a miracle. Like just, if there's a problem, I'm going to wake up one day, I'm going to wake up the next day and it's just gone. Like, wow, look at what God did. Look at the miracle. Okay, that can happen. God does that kind of thing. But I'm going to say in my life, 90% of the answers to prayer that I get come in the form of answers and solutions that I usually have to walk out. Okay, let me give you an example. If we're going to use a hypothetical person named Jane that is a combination of many people I've met over the years, okay? It's not one specific person. But hypothetical person, Jane's life is a mess. 
She struggles with deep, dark depression. She has legal and financial trouble. She has bills that she cannot pay, and her children do not want anything to do with her. Okay? And this person comes to me. This happened many times through the years. This person comes to me, and they say, Pastor, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? I have, this is a difficult one, because you don't ever want to tell somebody you're not going to pray for them, right? And like, I can pray for you. I can definitely pray for you, but... If I pray how I really need to pray to help you, I don't think you're going to like my prayer. Because I can't pray that your financial problems are going to go away, your depression is going to go away, your financial trouble is going to go away, your children are going to love you. I can't pray that. You know why? Because you have choices, habits, lifestyle, and sin that have led to every one of these things. And until you change that, this isn't changing through prayer. I'm sorry. Now, what I can pray for is, Lord, open our eyes to see the problems. Open our eyes to see the choices that have led here. Open their eyes and give them a heart to repent for the things that they've done that have, that have led to this. But listen, if God miraculously came down and snapped their fingers and all of these things went away in Jane's life, guess what? They'd be back in one year's time if she doesn't change and repent of her current way of life. So what's the point of that? That's not how prayer works but I'm just saying from talking to many Christians that's exactly what they want they want prayer to come in they're looking for prayer to perform a miracle they never stop to go I created this huge jumbled mess my my choices my lifestyle my sin my selfishness my immaturity has created this and I've got to repent and and start fixing these things and listen here's where the power of prayer will come in the power of prayer will come in with Answers and solutions. In other words, if, if, this is your, if this were your situation, okay, if this represented you, if Jane's life sounded similar to yours, God can come in one step at a time and go, you need to change this. You need to stop doing this. You need to start doing this. You need to start obeying that. And he will walk you through every step of the way. And guess what? The more you obey, the more his grace comes on it. The more you obey, the more his power comes on it. And, and through, that, through that repentance and obedience, you'll watch your whole life turn around, and you'll look around in a year's time, and you'll be shaking your head. How could, how could I serve such a good God that could restore my life in this way? Hello? It'll be a beautiful thing. But I can just tell you, it's not a snap of the fingers where you just pray, and God comes in and, and wipes the whole thing away. And, and most things that we pray for are like that. Most of the time that I pray, I'm going to get an answer to what I need to do, or I'm going to get a solution for the problem that I'm praying about. But almost always, I'm going to say 90% of the time, it will require obedience on my part. And that's what I needed from prayer. What I needed from prayer was God's intervention. I needed God to get involved and say, you couldn't figure this out, but if you do this, it'll solve the whole thing. And man, I follow that, and God's grace comes on it, and the whole thing works out over and over again. That has happened in my life, and I've seen that work in believers' lives over and over and over again. So you can't just always expect, and this is where I think a lot of people get disappointed with prayer, all right? They, they think that they're going to pray because they're struggling with stuff. They think they're going to pray, and God's just going to snap, snap his fingers and remove it, and it doesn't work like that. I'm just telling you that's not how prayer works. And that's why so many people, one of the reasons why so many people have been very disappointed 
when it comes to prayer. Let me give you a few situations. Now, what we're talking about, you can obviously see it in a situation like Jane where she created the problems, right? And so she got to change it. But look, even when you didn't create it, I've still, this is still the majority of the time how I see God work. I'll give you a few examples from Scripture. Think about Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph have been picked and called to, 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 first of all, birth and then raise the Son of God. Baby Jesus is born. All these miracles happen. Then we get this, this section where Herod decides that he's going to kill, you know, all the, all the baby boys. And so an angel appears to Mary and Joseph. They get a, they get a vision, and, say, and, it's, and he says, I want you to flee to Egypt because this danger is... Is, is present and he's trying to kill uh, Jesus. But, the, but notice what came, instruction, instruction. And I'm telling you, I've met a lot of Christians that they would have a problem with that. I know you think, no, no, they would have, no, they would. Because I've talked to a lot of Christians that would say, I don't have to go anywhere. God will just protect me right where I'm at. I don't have to do nothing. The power of God, I'm praying. I've been praying the power of God's going to protect me. His angels will watch over me. They're quoting Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. They're just believing God's going to protect them and everything. Listen, th their protection came through instruction. Their protection came through obedience. They weren't allowed to sit there and go, well, I don't have to flee to Egypt. God will protect me right where I'm at. Uh, wrong. Wrong because... God gave you instruction to follow. They didn't create this situation. There, it wasn't their problem. But look, if they were praying for protection over baby Jesus and, and God brings them instruction and he says, flee to Egypt, the protection is in following and obeying that instruction. And I'm telling you, many, many believers, that's just not how they think. They think on this other side, no, it's going to be completely miraculous. I don't have to do anything. I'm going to just pray, and God's going to, he's going to put like a bubble of protection around me, and, you know, we talk about guardian angels and all kinds of stuff. Okay, there, there is that. I'll, gi I'll give you that. There, there is that. But so many times, again, I'm going to say 90% in my own life, it comes in the form of instruction that I am to follow and obey, and my solution lies in that. Okay? This is why it's so crucial to have a relationship with God. You can't just work the principles. You can't just work the steps. Oh, well, if I pray like this, or I recite the Lord's Prayer, or I, or I do the prayer of agreement, or I do this, it's going to just work out. Listen, everything to do with God, it revolves around a relationship, and you've got to stay connected to Him. And that's, when you, that's how you get instruction. That's how you get information, solutions, and answers, is through that relationship. What about Elijah? God spoke to Elijah, and he said there was going to be a famine in the land. You remember that? We just read this a few weeks ago. He said there's going to be a famine in the land, no food, anything like that. What did he tell him? He said, go to the brook Cherith, for there I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Now, if you think about what the, uh, the power of prayer is, and you think about what miracles are, why in the world did Elijah have to go? We're talking about he's commanding ravens to feed him. You'd think ravens could feed him anywhere, right? It's already absurd. It's already an insane miracle. I mean, he could just be walking down the street doing whatever he's wanting. A raven just land right on his hand and have a piece of bread. I mean, if that's, what we're, if that's what's happening here, it's already so impossible. Why does he say, go to the brook Cherith, for there I have commanded the ravens to feed you because it's, it's at that specific place 
that Elijah will find provision. It's at that location. There's nowhere else. He couldn't have just had provision on whatever he chose to do, wherever he wanted to go, however he wanted to live his life. He'd have starved to death. But he said, go to the brook Cherith, for there I have commanded the ravens to feed you at that specific location. What about Abraham? Abraham is going about his normal daily life and one day the Lord speaks to him and he says go from from your father's country to a land that I will show you didn't even tell him what it was he just said go and as Abraham continued he ended up coming into the land of Canaan which ended up being the promised land which ended up being where all the children of Israel their whole heritage was built there but it started with one man receiving instruction and direction from God to go all right what about Moses God speaks to Moses and he says, go to Egypt and say to Pharaoh, gives him specific instructions. Now, again, we're talking about these amazing miracles, the ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea, all of these things. You're telling me it was all tied to instruction? Almost every bit of it. Go read the story. Moses goes into, goes into Pharaoh. He says, the Lord said. Moses, uh, Pharaoh says, I don't care. What does Moses do? He goes back to God. He said, God, uh, Pharaoh said he don't care. He said, well, go tell him this. Okay. Goes back. Pharaoh, God said this. Don't care. Okay. Go back. God, Pharaoh said he don't care. Well, go tell him this. Okay. He goes back. It's constant instruction. Going to God. Obey this. Yes, you said this. Yes, sir. Go back. Lord, this. Okay, go do this. You see, and I know what a lot of you are thinking. I, 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 again, I, I know. I know Christians. I know them well. I know a lot of you are thinking, yeah, but I don't hear God like that. I don't have that relationship with God where I can just hear God like that. I wish I did. If then, I would obey it. But let me just tell you, you have a whole book. It's a thick book full of his instructions to you that are just as powerful, just as powerful as these words that he's speaking to Moses. And I can just tell you, if you ever want to hear God the way that Moses is hearing him here, you're going to have to first obey his word that he's already written to you. Because it speaks to almost every situation. There's not, there's not almost a single thing that will ever come up in your life that the Word of God doesn't already have instruction and answers for. Why on earth would God give you more instruction until you're obeying what's already been revealed in His Word? I, I, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. If, you, if, you're, if you're married to somebody that's not saved, okay, and, and you're a believer, Bible full of instruction. If you're dating somebody, the Word of God, full of instruction, who to date, who not to date, how to conduct yourself while you're dating, finances over and over, everything you ought to do with your finances, how you to give, how you to tithe, where, how to use your money. Take it, go read Proverbs, talk, talk about taking out loans, don't co-sign for loans. If you, if you lend money to somebody, don't, and it's another Christian, don't charge them interest. Yeah, it's full of, of instructions on everything you could think of. And look, if you got cattle and, 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 and you raise vegetables, there's a lot of instruction about that too. If you're walking through the forest and you come up on a bird's nest with a few baby eggs in it, did you know there's instructions on what to do with those eggs? If you have sheep and goats and you're milking some of them, guess what? There's instruction on what to do with that milk and how to use it. It's all in there. The New Testament is full of everything on prayer, on life, on relationships, on marriage, on your relationship with God, on your finances. It's, it's chock full of it. And then you got, a, you got a lot of people that they say, well, yeah, my, I'm a Christian. Well, let me tell you what that means. If you say you're a Christian, it means your life is built on that book 
And then I talk to a lot of Christians, they don't even know what's in the book. And, I, and you got people reading novels this thick on, on the dumbest thing, novels, you know, secular novels, sinful novels, fantasy novels, won't even read the Bible. Now, I don't think you can have your life built on something if you've never read it. And I know it's a big book. And I don't care if it takes you five years to read it. I don't care if it takes you ten years to read it. But you, you got to know what's in it. And I'm a good preacher. But you can't depend on me. I don't know why y'all laughed when I was, I thought I was uh, amen or something. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you can't depend on someone else to tell you what's in it. You got to have it. It's got to be a daily part of your life. If you, read, if you read just a couple chapters a day, you'll get through it in a year's time. And if you're a really slow reader, two years, two or three. But you'll get through it. You need to know everything that's in it. Your life is built on it. And you're going to come across a lot of things in it when you read it, a lot of things that you go, wow, my life doesn't match that. My thinking doesn't match that. And when that happens, the, word, the Bible has a simple word for it, repent. Repent means to turn and adjust. You see it and you go, I'm wrong. God thinks like this, but I think like this. That's a problem. I've got to repent and change and adjust to him. Okay, that's what being a Christian means. For, for Americans, Christianity was like part of a, our heritage and culture. So it's like almost to be an American and to be a Christian was the same thing for a long time. But listen, they're not the same thing. And I don't care if you were raised going to church every Sunday and, you, and so you knew all the Bible lessons in the Sunday school. That's not the same thing as being a Christian and actually living for God and following him and if your life is built uh, on God and, and serving God you've got to know what's in his word and you've got to, you've got to follow it because he, the answers and the solutions are in there alright what about Joshua and the battle of Jericho this one you go read that one I mean they, the children of Israel come up on Jericho is surrounded by this, this great wall and God's plan was to just break the wall down miraculously just crumble the wall and then the armies of Israel are going to go in and take back Jericho because this was the promised land and, and they were supposed to have it all along and all, there's a long story there. But the walls are just going to crumble. But does he, just, does he just walk up and snap his fingers and the walls crumble? No. This is the God you serve. Okay? Uh, you can ask him later why he likes to do it this way, but he likes when he gives instruction and people obey those instructions. I'm telling you, I've seen this time and time again in people's lives. If they will follow God's word, there is tremendous power in it. When they obey and follow the word of God, you watch the way that God turns things around. They come up to the wall, and God gives them this instruction. He says, for seven days, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to march around this wall in silence. Don't say a word. There's going to be trumpets out in front of you. They're going to be blowing. But the people, don't say a word. March around it in silence one time and then go back to your camp. Now, I'm, I like to think of this as a perspective of one of the, uh, the Jericho people. And, and I'm in there and I'm out looking on the wall and here comes the camp. Silence. And they walk around our wall one time and then they head out back to the camp. Day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. Day three, nothing. Day four, here they come again. Walking around the wall blowing trumpets 
They get back to the beginning, head back to the camp. Day five, day six, day seven, after round one, they keep going. Now two, now three. They walk around seven times, and on the seventh time, they blow the trumpets, and he says, at that moment, I want you to let forth a shout, and when they do, the whole wall crumbles. Now, why did it have to be that way? I don't know exactly, but here's what I've learned a long time ago. If God says it, just do it. That's it. That's it. I, I don't know. I, you could, I could probably try to make up some symbolic sermon about the walks and the trumpets and the seven days, and many people have tried, but I, I read it. I go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why he wanted it that way, but this is what I know. When they obeyed it, I see what happened. And it's over and over and again in Scripture is God speaks, just obey. You ain't got to even understand it. I'm, there's power if you don't even understand it and you obey. There's power when you obey the Word of God. So over and over again, this is what you see. Prayer, communication with God, but the answer comes in the form of instruction and solution. So I don't know what you're going through. But if you've been praying for God to take it away, or you've been praying for God, fix this. God, just perform a miracle. It could be, but I want you to maybe think a little bit differently. Maybe the way you should be praying is, God, what do I do in this situation? How do you want me to handle this? And is there anything in the Word of God that would inform me already of what I should be obeying in this situation? I'll give you a couple examples from my own life just so that you kind of know what I'm talking about and, and we're on the same page. When I took my first youth pastoring job, one of the things that we wanted to do was build a, a, a youth center that was a place for kids to hang out on Friday nights. And we, uh, back in that time, I had gone to a restaurant called Bennigan's. Some of you may have been there. It was an Irish pub restaurant back in the day and it was just really cool and I thought man if we could like design it after that that would be really cool we liked the style of it and and so but we, you know we had no money we had no we were just small church and you know we were just getting started in the ministry there was just no way we were going to do that be able to do that and I remember I had a picture on my computer screen of uh of what we wanted it to look like and one morning I was praying just praying, spending time with God. And I remember in my heart, the Lord just spoke to me. I saw it on the computer screen, and the Lord just spoke to me, and he said, I want you, he said, just give Bennigan's a call. Tell him what you want to do. Well, I didn't know anybody at Bennigan's. I had to look on the Internet, find a number. I, you know, I just started moving that direction. It's a long story, but what ended up happening from that one little piece of instruction what ended up happening was I got in touch with the vice president of Bennigan somehow of some regional area. They had a restaurant in Houston that was being shut down. The highway had come through and bought it. They, they gave us, they said, you can come and anything that's in that restaurant you can take. We took two of the biggest U-Haul trucks they had. We went, we got every decoration, every table, every chair, every booth, all the kitchen equipment. We cut out the entire bar and brought it in and set it back up. Like it was just, it was unbelievable. And I should have brought a picture to show you. But my point is, it's just a little piece of instruction. Do you understand how valuable one little piece of instruction from God can be? Now, I didn't walk in there one day in the youth cafe. I wasn't like I was praying over the youth room and I just walked in one day and it was magically all there. No, it's just a little piece of instruction. A much simpler thing, I'll never forget this. This happened when Jen and I were first married. We didn't have kids or anything like that. It was just the two of us. And we hadn't been married long, just a couple years. 
and we were arguing. Now, it was mostly all her fault. It just, it's, you, but, you know, we were arguing some, and it just was tension in the house, and I was praying over her, Lord, help her. Just, she, she can't see nothing like I can, you know, just help her, Lord. No, I'm kidding, all right? Sometimes I'd make jokes like that, and then people go up to Jen after, like, poor Jen, I'm sorry you live with him, you know? Well, yeah, it's better than you think, okay? But anyway, so we were arguing, you know, just for several days over stupid stuff. Didn't matter, you know, but there was a tension. And in my mind, I was thinking, man, this feels spiritual. You know, this is like a demonic attack or something. We're just at each other, we're arguing. And I remember I was praying over it. I was praying. And again, when you pray, what are you expecting to happen? Right? You're, just, you're, you're expecting, like, this supernatural miracle peace to just come. And all of a sudden, you just stop fighting, right? That's what we want when we pray. But I remember I was praying. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, turn the TV off. And I had no clue. I'm, that's how clueless I was at that time. I, I, I said, that makes no sense. That is not connected one bit to what we're d dealing with here. And just, but I, that was all I got. Just turn the TV off. And again, you don't always understand what the Lord says, but you do. So we just started in the evenings. I just turned the TV off. I didn't tell her. I just turned the TV off. Well, you know what happened? We started talking. And all the time we'd been spending watching TV, I didn't realize there were some legitimate things that we needed to talk about. And we started talking, and over a period of a few days, we worked out a bunch of different stuff, and peace just came in my home. And that was a lesson to me. I remember learning that lesson very early, that prayer doesn't always work the way you think it's going to work. It's not always just a miracle you pray, and boom, it, the, the division is gone. The strife is gone. You know, oh, we bind strife. We bind disunity. Lord, we just pray for peace. And it don't always happen like that. A lot of times when you pray, I'm going to say 90% for me. I don't know what it is for you. 90% of the time I pray is instruction. It's information. It's a solution for what you're dealing with that you will then have to go and walk out because so many times you don't realize you've created the situation. You don't even know it. And so God brings you the answer to it so that you can fix it. Now, his grace is going to be on the whole thing. And when you obey, yeah, there's an anointing. There's a, there's a blessing that comes on it. And so it's, it's not just you doing it by yourself. But it's through your obedience that the power of God can get involved. So if you're looking for prayer to be an easy fix that absolves you of all your work and, and all of your responsibility, you're going to be sorely disappointed. That's not what prayer is. But if you are willing to repent, change, humble yourself, and listen to God, you will find tremendous help from God in whatever you're walking through in whatever situation you're going through. L look at all of these scriptures. Psalm 46.1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. He is ready to jump in whatever you are walking through and walk with it, walk through it with you. But it's a, you've got to listen while you're doing it. Don't, don't think he's just coming in and doing it. You're going to play a vital part in it. Psalm 34, 17, it says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 121.1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Isaiah 41.10, 
Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Listen, you serve a God that wants to be involved in your life, that wants to help and wants to bring solutions, but you've got to do it his way. You've got to do it his way. Don't ask him to come and, and do it your way. You've got to do it his way. That's where the help is. That's where you're going to find solutions. And that's where you're going to see power through prayer. Amen.